0: Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Today is Luke chapter 6, verses 36 through 42. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Everyone wants to be a part of something bigger than himself. When all we think about is ourselves, life becomes small and shrunken. We need to know that our lives count for something greater than our own little ego. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to earth to introduce us to something much greater than ourselves the Gospel the good news about God's will and plan for humanity. But we need to understand what the gospel is in order for us to get in on all the goodness of God's plan. If you ask the average Christian today to define the gospel, you will hear something like this. The gospel is repenting of my sins so I can be forgiven so I can go to heaven when I die. Is that the gospel Jesus Christ taught and preached? Take a look in your Bibles at Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Mark says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. If the meaning of the gospel is that we must have forgiveness of our sins through Jesus in order to go to heaven when we die, Then Jesus was confused. How could Jesus preach the gospel before he even died on the cross? How could Jesus have sent out the 70 disciples to preach the gospel before he died on the cross, if the gospel is defined as believing on Jesus and receiving his forgiveness? Friends, we need to think clearly about the gospel because we are commanded by Jesus himself to preach the gospel to all the nations. Many people today suffer from a grave misunderstanding of the gospel. One recent survey cited 65% of Americans who say that they have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. But people from this same survey said that their understanding of the gospel is that we should believe upon Jesus to have our sins forgiven and go to heaven when we die. Is this really the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is not. This is not the gospel that Jesus preached and taught. This is not the gospel his disciples preached and taught. It is a very small part of the larger whole. Some people go to John 3.16 to define the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now this is a wonderful verse, friends. A wonderful verse. It describes a very small part of the gospel, the personal part of the gospel. It tells me that if I believe upon Jesus, I will be saved and go to heaven. But this is not the full, grand, glorious truth of the whole gospel. The idea that we believe, are forgiven, and go to heaven without following Jesus without spiritual transformation, without really doing what Jesus told us to do, is an American consumerist caricature of the gospel. This view has come to be known as the gospel of sin management. Jesus is offered to multitudes so that they can believe and receive the product of forgiveness and heaven from him. Is this the gospel Jesus preached and taught? Go back to the first chapter of Mark and read the 15th verse. Jesus defines what he means by the gospel. He says in Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Luke 9.50, Jesus says, Go everywhere and proclaim the kingdom of God. In Luke 11.20, Jesus says, The kingdom of God has come upon you. In Luke 17.21, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is within you. Jesus taught, preached, and lived the gospel of the kingdom of God, not the American consumer gospel of sin management. Believing in the gospel means entering into a whole new world, the new world of God's kingdom, and living in the good of that kingdom. Being a Christian means coming under new management, the management of the kingdom of God. Now, what is a kingdom? It is a government. It's the place where the rule of the king is done. It's the place where the pleasure, the will of the king is done. This is why actually living out the gospel, living out the kingdom, is radical. It is countercultural. It is revolutionary. Being a Christian means going rogue against the whole direction of the culture of this world. Pastor Francis Chan says if life is a river, then pursuing Christ requires swimming upstream. When we stop swimming or actively following him, we automatically begin to be swept downstream. We are all on a downward escalator. In order to grow with Christ, we must turn and sprint up the escalator, ignoring the perturbed looks from everyone else who is gradually moving downwards. Jesus' words in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6 are about swimming upstream and sprinting up escalators. Jesus' words are radical, and what he says is the real gospel of his kingdom not the Americanized form of the gospel of sin management. So let's look together at these verses. I want us to focus on just one part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, beginning at verse 36. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you again. And then verse 41. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Now we first need to see what verse 37 does not mean. When Jesus tells us not to judge, he does not mean that we are unable to see another person's errors or unfairness. We are not blind to the faults of others. We don't pretend not to see what is there. God wants us to use good judgment and discernment. This verse also doesn't mean that we are unable to give loving, helpful criticism when it is needed. We must discern between truth and error, between goodness and evil. God gave us the ability to make judgments. Sometimes it's necessary to practice church discipline to excommunicate someone from the fellowship who is persistently sinning without repentance. Now, some people use the admonition not to judge as a cover for their sins. I had a young man come to me who claimed he was a Christian homosexual. I gently explained to him that participating in homosexual relations and following Christ as Lord and Savior isn't compatible. You can't be a true Christian and actively engage in homosexual behavior without repentance. He said, you're judging me, and the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. Friends, this is wrongly using Jesus' admonition not to judge as a cover-up for sin. We are also commanded to judge rightly in matters of doctrine. Our Lord teaches that we are to discern false prophets and avoid them. We must be able to spot false teachers who enter into the church to disturb and lead the sheep astray. But avoiding false teachers is impossible unless we have knowledge of true doctrine and that involves making a judgment. What we are not allowed to do is to offer unjust criticism, harsh criticism that is critical and fault-finding. This kind of criticism is claiming to know why people make certain decisions. It is claiming to be able to read people's minds. This censuring spirit is superior to others. It comes from the feeling that we are right and they are wrong. It is a spirit that finds satisfaction in finding the faults and wrongs of others. It is the tendency to want to put others in their place. We don't like it that someone gets away with something and is not punished. We forget the skeletons in our own closet and that we could be punished for our own sins. This is why Jesus says in verse 38, For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. God will judge us by the same rules that we use to judge others. If we are foolish enough to measure out unjust criticism of others, then we need to remember three things. First, God is listening. He hears what we say, and we must give account on the day of judgment for every unjust criticism we have spoken against our brother. Second, remember that God knows the whole truth about us. God knows what we have thought, what we have said, and what we have done. He knows all the sins which He has forgiven us, and is very upset when we point the finger at others for the same sins or similar sins that we have committed and which He has forgiven us. Third, remember that God is perfectly fair. He is not on your side and He is not on the other person's side. He is only on the side of truth. Let's continue our lesson. Remember the story of Joshua in Joshua chapter 5? Joshua was out surveying the land of Canaan, and he looked and saw a man standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua drew closer to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? The angel of the Lord said, Neither. I am the commander of the Lord's army. This was God's way of saying, I haven't come to take sides, but to take over. I am in command here. God is fair. God is for the truth. And God knows whether you and I choose to be merciful or to withhold mercy and play God in someone else's life. How does this uncritical spirit manifest itself? It shows itself in a readiness to give judgment when the matter doesn't concern us at all. It means expressing our opinion about people with whom we have no direct dealings. This spirit also manifests itself in habitually expressing our opinion without a knowledge of all the facts. We judge others without knowing really what is going on with them, without taking the trouble to learn all the facts of the case. Friends, do we really want to love people? Then we must cease from unjust criticism and condemnation. If we would really help those close to us, our family members, our friends, our neighbors, and learn to live together in the power of God's kingdom, we must abandon the deeply rooted human practice of unjust condemning. Jesus is actually telling us that we can become the kind of person who doesn't condemn, doesn't blame or shame others. But when we hear this, we think it must be impossible. Can we really live that way? Are we able to stop letting people know that we disapprove of them and find them to be in the wrong? Giving condemnation and judging others seems such a large part of human relationships. Can we even imagine what life would be like without it? Let's apply this to everyday life. Our closest relationships are within our families, and this is sometimes where mind reading leads to criticism. Someone said that most families would be healthier and happier if their members treated one another with the respect and honor they give to perfect strangers. Parents often treat their children with great incivility and disrespect. Husbands and wives can be painfully ruthless in doling out large measures of condemnation and judgment. Why is this? Because human beings are constantly tempted to use condemnation to punish and control others. It becomes a manipulative device to get my way or prove myself right by proving you wrong. All of this has to cease if we are going to obey the gospel of the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of the king has to come over us and teach us to live differently. How do we free ourselves of this unjust, critical, judging spirit? First, by understanding where it comes from. Judgment and condemnation always have a degree of self-righteousness and of distancing ourselves from the one we are condemning. Jesus says in Luke 18.9 that we are not to trust in ourselves that we are righteous by comparing ourselves with others and having contempt for them. And yet, sadly, that is what many people do. Why does Jesus combine judging with this business of the speck in my brother's eye and the log in my own eye? What does he mean? Jesus is using a humorous illustration to get his point across. Here I am with a huge log sticking out of my eye. It's big. It's unwieldy. Everyone else can see it except me. I go to my brother who has a small speck in his eye and I say, Brother, you have a speck in your eye. That's bad. Repent of your sins. You're wrong. You're out of God's will, you miserable sinner. We readily see the irony here, don't we? It is laughable yet pathetic at the same time. As someone said, when you point a finger at your brother, There are four other fingers pointing back at you. How do we eliminate the plank in our own eye? Is Jesus saying that we can't ever help others until we first remove the plank in our eye? We all have planks of some kind or other. This would mean that only Christians who are perfect have the ability to help someone else. No, friends, this is not what Jesus means. What he does mean is that we are to stop dishing out uncalled-for, unasked-for criticism. Once I am humbly aware of my own weaknesses and refuse unjust criticism, then I can reach out to help another person. Once I realize my own imperfections, I can see a brother or sister overtaken in a sin and gently help to restore that person. Jesus doesn't rule out helping another person as long as we don't do it self-righteously. We will tend to stop judging and condemning when we realize that when I judge you, it's because the very thing I hate in myself is what I'm judging in you. There's a saying, it takes one to know one. For years I fought against this idea. You mean, whenever I see and judge a sin in you, it's because there is the same sin or tendency to sin in my own heart? Yes, friends, it is true. Somewhere in my conscious or unconscious heart and mind is the same sin lurking and ready to spring forward apart from the grace of God working in me. Instead of judging others, what are we to do? Look at our epistle reading in Romans 8.23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Instead of judging and condemning others, it is good for us to practice a gentle inward groaning. Look at our psalm reading, Psalm 80, verse 17. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us, Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Who is the man of God's right hand? It is Jesus our Lord. When we enter into a life of adoration and friendship with Jesus Christ and align our hearts with what he is doing in the world, we live in a new reality. It is the reality of the Sermon on the Mount. It is the new reality of His face daily shining upon us, reviving us, restoring us, so we can walk in the good of His kingdom. This is what Sunday worship is all about. We come to church to be the church, to be the new creation of God, the new community of the kingdom. And as we become part of this new community of adoration, praise, celebration, and love, judging is simply irrelevant. Let's close with a final thought. Are you prepared to be judged in the exact way that you pass judgment on another? If you decide to withhold judgment and choose mercy, you will receive mercy. If you go ahead and dole out on just criticism, God promises he will show no mercy upon you. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. Listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at Ministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E Ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable.